Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Wednesday from a few remote locations, all things considered. I'm joined today by fellow Browns beat writers, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how you two doing? We're doing great today, Ellis. How are you doing? Doing well. Just, you know, in here in Minnesota, it was weird weather yesterday and now it's sunny again today. It's, it's Minnesota stuff and you guys are familiar with it a little there in Cleveland. So one day at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had those storms here yesterday in Ohio, and it was sort of a it, it was sort of a reprieve from everything. It kind of gave, gave me something to do last night to uh, sit and watch the radar and get the uh, the up to the minute weather reports. So uh, felt a little normal for for a few hours at least. Yeah, and that's all we can ask for, Dan. So I hear you on that. Um, look, so listeners, as we're getting adjusted to this new daily format, which we hope you all are enjoying as much as we are. Um, Great thing about covering the Browns is there's never a struggle to find something to talk about because they're the Browns. So today for our main topic, we're going to discuss Mary Kay's piece on Alabama tackle Jarek Wills and her exclusive conversation with Nick Saban. Uh, Mary Kay, before we get into Wills and Nick, uh, the piece in general, I want to ask you and just can you remind listeners and viewers of your professional relationship with Nick Saban? Uh, you two go, go back, don't you? Yeah, you know, he was the Browns defensive coordinator from 1991 to 1994. And when I look back on that staff, it's so funny. This week I talked to Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa head coach. He was on that staff. I talked to him about Tristan Wirfs. I talked about I talked to Nick Saban uh, about Jedrick Wills and a couple other guys. And it's just it's funny to look back on that staff. I mean, not only uh, was it the the coaches on that Bill Belichick staff in the early 90s but all kinds of general managers, you know, Thomas Dimitrov was on that staff, Scott Pioli. The list really goes on and on and on. Phil Savage, uh, you name it. So it was really uh, kind of fun to talk to those guys this week and reminisce a little bit. I asked them about their kids. They asked me about my kids. And uh, and it's just kind of cool. I mean, I think we all have fond memories of of those years. I think we all sort of knew that there was something special going on uh, even though it kind of all blew up when the Browns left town and moved to Baltimore. But before that happened, uh, there were some pretty cool things going on in Cleveland on that staff. Yeah, what a fascinating time. And then for you guys to be able to reconnect over um, a topic like this, a tackle the Browns may select at, at 10 overall. So let's jump right into the piece. Uh, Mary Kay, before we get into some specific parts, and Dan, I'm going to pull you in here soon. Um, what are your initial takeaways when you when you hear Saban talk about uh, Wells here did you did your opinion change on him or does he still feel like one of the four 
top tackles. Where did he land with you now after this? Well, you know, obviously he is one of the top four tackles. My opinion on that didn't change at all. And Nick raved and raved about him, which you would expect him to do. Uh, But Nick is also very realistic about things. And he talked about two different things that I thought were sort of interesting. Uh, One, he talked about the fact that he cannot unequivocally say that Jedrick Wills will be able to easily make that transition from right tackle to left tackle uh, because he has played right tackle his entire career dating all the way back to high school. Uh, so it's, it's not going to be necessarily an easy transition for him, whereas it will be more so for an Andrew Thomas who has played both right tackle and left, left tackle in college. So, uh, so this is something that he's going to, going to have to, uh, to prove to teams that he can do. And that's hard to do right now when you really can't go do a private workout with him or anything. So it presents its challenges. The other thing real quick uh, was that he talked about the fact that Jedrick Wills had to sort of learn how to uh, contain, control his emotions a little bit and mature as he went along. I asked uh, Jedrick Wills about that on the phone just today. And he said, he doesn't think he had to do that. He thinks that uh, that he had a handle on that right from the start. Yeah, Dan, when you hear all that and read the piece and more in-depth stuff from Mary Kay there, where does this stuff with Wells land with you? Is he creeping his way up towards the top end of that four? Is he still where he was, or is this still just kind of a group of four that we still need to figure out? I, I think it's still a group of four we need to figure out, and maybe the Browns you know, aren't going to be able to pick their favorite guy out of that four. They might just have to settle for, I don't want to say settle, but they might have one or two of those guys off the board uh, by the time they come on the clock at number 10, unless of course they decide they really like a guy and want to move up. I think the right tackle, the left tackle thing is interesting. I, I think it's a, you know, it's a challenging thing for a guy to learn that, but you know, if you look at him and he has the skill set. and at the very least, this is a guy that has done it against elite competition. You know, the Browns, have brought in some guys the last few years who you know dominated at left tackle but they did it at smaller schools and you know you watch the tape and they're just driving guys into the ground but it's also you know smaller school competition sometimes that translates at least with wills even if it hasn't always been on the left side at least he's been doing it against elite level competition so that jump from college to the nfl isn't going to be quite as big but it just sort of underscores if they do decide to draft a left tackle this guy's going to have to slide in and play a very important role right away on a team that, that wants to win in 2020. The other thing I think to note about uh, the interview with Nick was that he pointed out, and some people might not realize, is that with Tua uh, being a left-handed quarterback, uh, Jedrick Wills was blocking the blind side. And I think that's vitally important. He, he was still doing uh, you know, what he would have to do at this level, just kind of on the other side. Uh, but, you know, it just depends. I mean, I, I did ask Jedrick Wills about that today. Just, you know, how do you do it? How do you know you're going to be able to do it? And he admitted that there is, it's a lot more than just like moving over and taking a few steps and going over there. Uh, there, you know, there are foot, you know, there's footwork, there's hand stuff, there's mental things, you know, so yep. it, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, Mary Kay, I'm glad you brought that up about Jedrick that he, though as a right tackle, was protecting the blind side. I think that is a important distinction. Uh, Dan, I want to touch on something you brought up about uh, him and who he had to block against. Mary Kay mentioned that in her piece towards the end. I think it was a quote saying how, uh, you know, Nick Saban referred to Quentin Williams and players of that stature at Alabama and how coming here he'd go up against Miles Garrett. I think that there's a lot to say about a, a, a tackle going up against that type 
top level of competition every day at practice. Uh, you know, Alabama can run through its schedule and usually it's early part of the schedule at times. And, you know, sometimes we've seen them go to the national title game with an undefeated record, not having run through their opponents. But when you get that type of practice in practice competition, uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're not seeing it on the field on Sundays. Those are, or excuse me, Saturdays for college football. Those are, those practices get heated as we all know. And sometimes you're getting better reps on the field against competition like that. Uh, one thing I want to ask you guys is, Mary Kay, you mentioned in the piece, uh, the mentorship that Joe Thomas could serve uh, a guy like Wills or any tackle that comes in here. Um, do you think Thomas, he's, I mean, he's got to be one of the best mentors you could get, but does that ease anyone's nerves in the fact from him going from right tackle to left tackle that a guy like Joe Thomas would be there to help him make that transition? Yeah, and Joe won't be around all the time, but he'll always be a resource. He'll be available. And again, with technology, uh, you know, he'll always uh, be right at the ready if there was anything whatsoever uh, that any of these players need. The other thing is uh, Doug Deacon is around all the time, and he was uh, a former Browns left tackle, obviously, that he took Joe Thomas under his wing right from the start of his career and really kind of showed him the ropes and helped ease the transition for him. So the new left tackle will have dug around on an everyday basis and will have Joe Thomas, Thomas at his fingertips. So I think that's invaluable. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, people raved about with Joe Thomas and you hope that he can sort of instill this when he gets the opportunity to maybe talk to one of these, you know, left, whoever the Browns end up drafting is I remember uh, early in, in Bob Wiley's time here, uh, we had a, an interview with him, and I asked him what stands out to you about Joe Thomas, and his answer was essentially, this guy's a Hall of Famer already, and I see him every day out there working on these little things, these little techniques over and over and over again. And, and those are the things that kind of made Joe Thomas from being just a good left tackle to a great Hall of Fame caliber left tackle. Um, so so that, those are the sort of things you kind of hope he can pass on to whoever the Browns draft. But another guy, too, that I think we should mention in this, you know, if you're making that transition from the right to the left side, you could do a lot worse than the guy playing next to you is Joel Batonio, a guy that's played in two straight Pro Bowls, uh, one of the best left guards in the game. You know, you could do a lot worse than having that guy sort of as, as your partner next to you on that side of the line, especially because on the other side, you might have some opportunities where you can say, all right, Jack Conklin, we're going to leave you on an island, something you would normally say to a left tackle. We're going to leave you on an island over there so that we can kind of shift our, cover, our protections a little bit to help out this young left tackle. Yeah, the thing that really kind of stood out to me just over the last couple of days in talking to people about this is the fact that you really do have that, uh, you know, that difference between the guys that really focused on right tackle in college can they make the transition and guys that place played left tackle in college and you already know that they can do it. How is that going to factor into the grading? How does that stack them up on the Browns board? I mean, you're playing a little bit of a guessing game in some ways. And, and I, it's something that Andrew Barry is going to have to work through. Dan, you alluded to it and Mary Kay, I'm going to throw this one to you. Can you speak to though Cleveland has a reputation of you know being this unstable franchise that perhaps a, a top quarterback may not succeed in landing. Mary Kay, can you speak to the success of the left tackle position in Cleveland and really the the safe space? It seems like a young tackle can come in here and learn from a guy like Petonio, as you mentioned, Dan. Then you got Thomas, and really the history here, and and then Callahan coaching offensive line. It seems like there's a safe foundation built to have a young tackle come here and grow, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good offensive line in general. I yeah. mean, this the, the new left tackle is going to be joining a very good veteran offensive line. So not only will he have Joel Batonio, but like you said, he'll have J.C. Treader, he'll have Jack Conklin. He's got a really good veteran coach in Bill Callahan, whose expertise his entire career has been offensive line. So it, it is a, it's a soft landing, I would think, uh, for the new left tackle. Uh, and, and once again, if it's someone that is going to have to learn to make the transition, you know, you have to wonder, uh, is, you know, are they going to be able to start right away? Will, will they need some kind of a contingency plan if he's not ready to start right away? Uh, these are all things to consider. Dan, I want to ask you, do, are we hitting a point here where fans are feeling like it's a, a time of the next blindside era, if you will, that we're talking so much about left tackle at 10 and these we've really gone in depth and we continue to go in depth on these four main prospects. Uh, does it feel like the new era of left tackle is coming to Cleveland very soon and really the timing of these four prospects have, has made it perfect or sh do we need to be prepared as you guys talked about yesterday in the most recent mock draft where an Isaiah Simmons could come to Cleveland? You know, I mean, look, Isaiah Simmons is the wild card. We all, kind of think if he's there, you almost have to consider him. But, um, you know, I, I do think, and I feel like I've said this before, but we're a little spoiled in Cleveland, right? Because when Joe Thomas showed up, he started week one. Yeah, that was the year the Browns went 10 and six. So he starts week one, the Browns go 10 and six. And then obviously the team success wasn't there after that, but Joe Thomas didn't leave the field until the middle of 2017. So, you know, we're a little spoiled here because we've seen really what the best of the best can be. And so this new guy is going to come in and have this expectation, I think, from fans that he's going to be able to start right away. I don't know if that's, if that's going to be realistic to kind of piggyback off what Mary Kay said about maybe having a contingency plan. Um, I, I think Simmons is the wild card, though, to, to go back to that point. If he's there, it's going to be really hard to pass up on him, and the Browns are going to have to weigh – is there a guy that could trade back in and maybe take later? Is there some, you know, an Ezra Cleveland or maybe somebody that might fall? Do, do they want to trade that pick? If Isaiah Simmons is there at 10, maybe some folks will call him up and, and want to give them some extra picks. So now can we get our guy at 13 or 14 or 17 or wherever they might trade down to? I, I just think that's, as we've talked about before, it's, it's really the wild card in all of this. One of the other things I think uh, to consider or that stood out to me when I was talking to Nick Saban was just about the whole notion of one of these guys, uh, Jedrick Wills, stepping in and being constantly compared every single day to Joe Thomas. The, I remember my, our very first interview with Joe Thomas when he came. It was probably for the rookie minicamp. It wasn't the draft day interview. I think it was for the rookie minicamp where we were standing at his locker, and he basically said, you know, I'm, I want to go to the Hall of Fame. And it just seemed light years away. And it was like, whoa, you know, slow it down a little bit. Well, you know, he called his shot that day and he lived up to it. And those are a big, big pair of shoes to fill. So I did. I asked, I asked uh, Nick about that. And he said that, you know, that is not something they teach their players to just focus on what they can control and that he's not going to worry about that. I asked Jedrick the same thing. And he said, Nick, put it best. I'm not going to, that's not going to rattle me. Yeah, because there has to be a concern there that, you know, just because you have a top 10 pick doesn't mean it's going to hit. And just because you draft what is usually one of the safer spots at tackle, it doesn't mean it's going to hit. Um, I guess, how important is this pick for the Browns where they can't afford to mess this up? Because, like you said, Dan, Cleveland's been spoiled with hitting on these, these tackles. 
could the franchise really afford to miss here considering the history that they're not used to doing that? You know, I, I don't know that it's a, a franchise altering the stake if they miss okay. this pick. Uh, you, you know, you hope you can kind of, if for some reason you miss this pick, you hope the rest of your line is, is improved and you can work around it and try and fix that position in, in another way. Uh, you know, there's, there, have got, there are guys that have come through that have been can't miss guys, not here necessarily, but, you know, I'm thinking back to even like Robert Gallery. Right? He was supposed to be the next great left tackle. Never really happened. He ended up being better as a guard. So you, you just never really know with these guys uh, where it's going to end up. You know, Kansas City took uh, Eric Fisher, number yep. one overall. And he's been okay. He hasn't been great, but he's been okay. He's been able to play that position for a while. And Kansas City just won a Super Bowl with him and, and has been a contender for a long time with him. So obviously you'd like this guy to come in and be your next Joe Thomas, right? But there's a reason Joe Thomas is special. There's a reason he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He, he, if he can at least be good enough in that position, and while you want better than good enough at number 10, at the very least, if the guy you pick is good enough, it, it can be a win for you. And, you know, this is when you have a top 10 pick, and when the class is as deep as this one is, it really does seem like it's, it's lined up and set up to be the year to nail this, to get this right, and to have this guy hold down that position for absolutely the next decade. That's what you're hoping to get. But once again, you don't always know if it will work out. Look at Greg Robinson. I mean, it seemed like when Greg Robinson was coming out that he was a can't-miss prospect. But as we all know, uh, when you are plugging in those left tackles into the NFL, sometimes they do miss. Yeah, before we go to our break, I want to ask you guys both one more thing. And Mary Kay, we can start with you with the idea of how important this pick is and, and not busting on it, of course. Mary Kay, have you heard anything from front offices about uh, just really the anxieties of this virtual draft that we're on the cusp of? Are teams worried that there's, you know, this is going to be even more difficult? Do, do teams not really know what they're getting themselves into? Do you have anything to share on that front on the psyche of front offices right now? You know what? I, I think everybody sort of has a little bit of anxiety or angst about how this is all going. Even when I've talked to some of these coaches, they're like, yeah, this is, it's difficult to try to get ready for a season right now. Uh, you know, even the college season that they don't even know if it's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the players themselves, uh, I've talked to some that have said, yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, not to be able to go into a facility to, to get the vibe of a team, to meet some of the other players and sort of feel like what's going on. Uh, but the other side of it, uh, someone mentioned to me today, was that they're not all over the country, that they are kind of resting up before the draft and not exhausting themselves by being in airports everywhere. And so it has its pros and cons. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point because that draft process is really hard for guys. And they, it kind of feels – I've talked to guys going into their second years and I've been like, what's different? And, of course, the obvious answer is always, I didn't have to prepare for the draft. I had an offseason. And, and some guys have said they were even bored in that, in that first real NFL offseason because it was so different. So that's a big piece of it. Honestly, NFL front offices and coaching staff should be almost ecstatic about this draft because it's almost – I mean – in the best case scenarios, teams mess up drafts all the time. So 
let's say you mess up this draft, you can just fall back and say, hey, look, it was weird. We didn't get to have our normal 30 visits. We had to do this thing digitally. So they should actually probably be ecstatic that, uh, that they're going to have an easy out if, if for some reason they mess this draft up. Yep, it's been fascinating following how this is all unfolding, and I'm sure we're going to learn more as we creep closer to the draft on April 23rd. All right, listeners, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about something we all love discussing, jersey reveals. It's that time of year with the draft creeping up. Uh, of course, the Browns have not revealed anything yet, but we've got Tampa Bay Bucks and Atlanta Falcons to discuss, so don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. I want to tell you about Football Insider. It's our texting service. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, me. We text you throughout the day. Browns breaking news, uh, analysis, the latest news, anything you want. And, of course, it gives you an opportunity to interact directly uh, You know, with all of us. You can text. Uh, we see your texts. I'll text directly to you. It cuts through all the clutter of Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you could interact with us. This comes directly to us, and we can talk directly to you. It's also the only way that you can get your questions on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you listen to that and you want to be a part of that, you've got to sign up for Football Insider. And again, it's a, it's a great way to interact with all of us, and it's a unique way to interact with all of us that you can't get anyplace else. So why should you sign up? Everything I just said, but also you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can check it out, see if you like it, see if you like getting texts from us, ask your questions, get them answered. If you don't, you can cancel. I don't think you're going to want to, though, because it's only $3.99 a month. That's less than $0.14 cents a day. And you also get access to special events like our NFL Draft Preview on April 16th that will feature all of us. And again, the thing I like best, you can ask me a question. I can respond directly to you. Nobody else sees it. It's exclusive. It's personal. I think you'll love it. Give it a shot. All you have to do to sign up is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a banner at the top of the page or text me 216-208-3965. Again, to sign up, text 216-208-3965. Hello and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. I'm joined by fellow beat writers Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. You guys, we're at the point of the offseason where teams start revealing their new jerseys because the draft is almost here, which means they can sell their new jerseys and we everyone can benefit, right? That's that's the name of this game. So uh, perhaps all this would have been going on with live press conferences, but because of the social distancing, we're seeing a social media rollout um, a couple days ago. Tampa Bay Buccaneers revealed their new jerseys. Funny enough, Chris Godwin was out there down in the number 12, which we know <laughs> – is no longer the case. That's going to be Tom Brady's jersey. Godwin's wearing 14. Um, and then we had the Atlanta Falcons today drop theirs, even though, you know, rumors were circulating that it was going to be next week. Falcons just go ahead and drop theirs. So we've got two sets of jerseys out here. What I like about jerseys is when these reveals happen, you usually know right away whether you're, you're in or out. They either pass the eye test or they don't. I guess maybe the Bengals jerseys I still <laughs> go back and forth on. Sometimes it works really well for me. Sometimes I look at them like, I don't know about those still. Um, but for the most part, 95% of the time, uh, you know where these are going to land. So let's start with Tampa. Um, for me, it felt like a throwback jersey, uh, you know, Mike Allsott, John Lynch era. And I, I thought they were smooth. Um, Dan, when you saw those, uh, do you think Tampa got this one right? You know, I, I mean, they didn't really blow me away, which which is probably a good thing. Uh, you know, their other option was to maybe go all the way back to like the birth of the franchise and uh, and those uniforms. But yeah, I mean, kind of like you mentioned, it's a little bit of a throwback to that John Lynch era and 
look, they had to nail these because these are the Tom Brady jerseys. Right? <laughs> right. Everybody's going to buy their Tom Brady jerseys, and this is going to be your one shot at all of those. So they had to absolutely nail this. I don't know if, you, if they nailed it or not, but they at least didn't, didn't screw it up, which uh, to be frank here in Cleveland, we kind of know what the fallout of, of mm-hmm. that can be. Yeah, I mean, the, the reviews have been good so far, I think, on the, on the Bucks jerseys. I, I like them. They look good. Um, we'll see what Tom and Giselle think about them. I'm sure, <laughs> uh, I'm sure they'll have some opinions soon. Uh, but, again, I'm not huge on the whole jersey piece, but I like them. Yeah, no, I understand that. Dan, I, I like your idea with the, the orange. Uh, are those like the creamsicle is not the right – is that what I'm looking for here? The I, think that's, I think that's what people call them is, is the creamsicle. Yeah, just okay. go all the way back. Robert Mays from The Ringer did a thread of uh, yes. what everyone's jersey should look like on Twitter, and it was basically everyone's old school jersey. And, and it was actually perfect. It is kind of what everybody's jersey should look like. Not to sound like get off my lawn guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. And then we had the Falcons reveal their jerseys today, um, and those have been – had some more mixed reviews. I already saw the uh, Carolina Panthers uh, team account trolling the Falcons saying or making a reference to uh, Adam Sandler's longest yard character and then the Matt Ryan wearing the all blacks and there's Adam Sandler standing there. Um, so Dan, same thing to you. Uh, initial eye test, did those, did those pass for you or not? I, I liked some of the combos. I actually am sort of intrigued. I don't think it was real popular on Twitter, but as I was just scrolling through, I didn't spend a ton of time looking at them, but that weird sort of jersey that like fades from black into red, I think it was. And yeah, yep. it's like halfway up the jersey, it fades into red and, and the, the pants are black. I, th- I think uh, a lot of people were not fans of that one, but I'm kind of curious what that one actually looks like in yeah. real life, like on the field, it probably won't work very well, but uh, you know, at least I, I guess it was innovative. Yeah. Go ahead, Mary Kay. I was going to say, you know, the, my, my, my one thought on on uniforms and new uniforms and things like that. I do like tradition and I understand that that's a big part of the Cleveland Browns, but I also think that there's a whole younger generation that you kind of have to capture a little bit. And, you know, I think that in addition to history and tradition that you want to kind of grab a hold of the younger generation and let them have something to get excited about and make sure that you're catering to them too, because this is a fan base that sort of lost a whole generation of fans and they need to get those guys back on board too. Yeah. Mary Kay, I'm glad you bring that up. I saw a tweet today that said, uh, Atlanta, look, it feels like teams are changing their jerseys every year, unless you're Oakland and green Bay and Pittsburgh, quite frankly. But the tweet said uh, Atlanta changes their jerseys for the first time in 17 years. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, it, it's been that long. But you think back to, you know, the, the Mike Vick Madden cover in 2004 and whatnot. And it's like, okay, yeah, they've been wearing those since, since Mike Vick. Um, that's your, what, what I've been like fourth grade Ellis uh, NFL knowledge <laughs> for you there. But mm-hmm. I think there's some truth to that. And you have to work to captivate or, you know, captivize a new younger fan group and, Dan, I think that's to your point with the the fade, the black to red. When they try to get, you know, cute like that, that's probably where that they're trying to land that. And one thing with these social media reveals that we're not getting with being in person, um, the Bucks alternate looked like an all black and it looked almost like an Atlanta Falcon jersey. But then someone got a, a better photo of it, not in like the social media uh, package. And it's more of a like a dark brown, like a pirate ship brown, which actually worked really well. So Dan, to your point, I think it'll be, we'll get a better feel for the Atlanta fade when 
you know, bet more photos come out of it or, or whatnot. Um, I guess really the only, the only thing left here to do is to try to touch a little bit on what the Browns may do. Um, look, we, we don't know when this is going to happen and we could discuss this every day at nauseum. I don't, that's not what I want to do, but just because Atlanta had sort of dropped theirs out of the blue, I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, so I'll just open it up. Do you guys have an idea of where they might go? Do you have a personal preference of where they might go? I mean, you guys have lived through so many different Jersey incarnations. I'm, I'm sure you're sick of it, but where do you hope uh, the, these new Brown threads look? I think that they're going very traditional and I think the fans are, are going to like them. That was the goal. I mean, I've talked to D Haslam about uh, the, the uniforms over the last couple of years at the owners meetings and they were uh, very cognizant of what the fans wanted and, and what they were going to like and embrace and get excited about. And that was the traditional side of things. So I really think that that it's, there'll be a little bit more throwback. Yeah. I, I don't think we're going to see the, um, the Jim Brown all white home uniforms for, for the people that sort of prefer that. But I, I do think it's going to be more traditional. And um, if, if, you know, I, I talked to Dave Jenkins, the COO yep. of, of the team a couple of days ago, and I, I had to ask him about the uniforms. And, and one of the things that he said is, uh, you know, I think this go around, we said we're nothing fancy. Now part of that had to do with the reveal, but I also think that's sort of the theme of the uniforms as well. We're not going to see the big Browns down the pants leg anymore. And I think they're going to lean a little more towards kind of that color rush, color rush feel, and then going a little more traditional as well. Um, so that uh, kind of try to make everybody happy. And I don't think they're going to have as many combinations. Either. Yeah. They had some a ridiculous number of combinations in this last set. And I think it's going to be reduced. Yeah, it sounds like being simple is what works here, and hopefully that's what Browns fans will, will get at some point. We're not sure when, but it definitely will happen before the draft because they've got jerseys to sell. Um, before we get out of here, I want to uh, surprise you with this one, Mary Kay, but I need a Mary Kay Cabot Tiger King update. Have, have, have you gotten episode two yet? Are you in and out yet? Are you, is that still on the back burner? We, we, need the, we need the daily Tiger King update. You know, somehow I went from Tiger King over to watching Little Women last night. So, there like, I'm just all <laughs> – over the board here. Uh, no, I have not gotten past season uh, episode two yet. Okay. So I keep you guys keep telling me that I have to get to episode three. Yes. I haven't done it yet because my husband's not on board. So I have to wrestle the TV and the remote away from him so that I can watch the rest of Tiger King. But I will. Yeah, I mean, Alice, you and I have both told her, you get to the end of episode two, you get to that cliffhanger. If you're not hooked to move on to episode three, then the, the show is, the documentary is just not for you. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think that's even possible. Yeah. I did finish Ozark the other night, though. See, that, that, that's, that's when I got to get to it. And, and Dan, you couldn't be, Dan, are you an Ozark guy? I, I can't remember. I've, I've watched the first two seasons. I haven't started season three. All right, so Mary Kay's got us there. We've got her on, on Tiger King. And then Mary Kay, quick before we got here, a uh, quick little women review. How, how'd you like it? It was amazing. So obviously well-written, well-acted. The cast was tremendous. Uh, everything about it was great. It was a great feel-good movie for uh, these depressing corona times. Yeah, I hear that. I know I've sat in the pod before. I, I saw that movie twice in theaters, so glad you got to it, Mary Kay. And Dan, I know you're a, a two-year back movie guy, so in 2020, <laughs> that's, uh, that's right. I'll have, I'll have my full review in, uh, in a couple of years. <laughs> we got some time for that. All right, you guys. Well, this was fun. Uh, listeners, don't forget to sign up for Football Insider. Uh, visit Cleveland.com. Click the blue banner up top. That's how you get exclusive content from myself, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Scott Pascoe. 
And that's how you get your questions onto this Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which we're going to be doing Texter Tuesdays, as Dan coined a couple days ago. The first round. Texter Tuesday. Texter Tuesday. There you go. First round went great, and we're looking forward to doing that again for you guys. Um, so subscribe, get your questions to us. We also have uh, a mock draft going on right now for insider subscribers. A lot of fun, interesting stuff going on, and it's exclusive content you can only get by signing up. We'll include that number in this uh, post also. So for myself, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay Cabot, we're signing off. Until tomorrow, take care and stay healthy, y'all.